0: Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm thankful, for, um, I'm thankful for these students and these youth pastors and these counselors. God, what a world we live in. And God, as we dive into what it means to live a life on mission, God, I pray that you would stir in our hearts. God, recognizing the mission that you have called us to. It's not a trivial mission. It's not just something we think about and then we just go on with the rest of our day, God, it's something that defines and reorients our life. So, God, I am, I'm praying for that this morning. I pray for um, Jam Ministries, as we'll find out and we'll learn about. God, I pray for all that they've got going on over in South Africa, and so I'm thankful for their ministry, and I'm thankful for Hume Lake. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Yeah, you guys can take a seat. Oh, man. How many hours of sleep on average do we feel like we get? How many of you guys got less than seven hours of sleep? All right, I've got no chance in keeping your guys' attention this morning. Uh, No, that's awesome. Less than five hours. Wow, that's amazing. All the counselors are like, um, dang, that sucks. (laughs) Uh, Hey, real quick, here's the deal. Here's what we're going to be doing this morning. Um, We're going to be talking about global missions this morning. Uh, This is our missions morning. And so to kind of help launch uh, what we're gonna be doing this morning, We created a video and we partnered with this ministry called JAM. And just a little background on this ministry called JAM. It's led by this missionary and his name is Jit. And he is actually, uh, G-I-T, I I know, such an awesome name. He's actually uh, from South Africa, but he's actually been here at Hume Lake Christian Camps. In fact, he received his calling to global missions here um, in this very chapel. And so we'll have the chance to hear from him um, in, a, in a second. His mission, Jam Jesus and Me Ministries, essentially what it is, is it's a discipleship training program and uh, ministry so that they can raise up disciples in South Africa to go and send them out to spread the gospel to the, to the surrounding countries, both in South Africa and the surrounding countries outside of South Africa. And so it's a sweet mich- uh, ministry. Um, and so you guys are going to be able to see a little glimpse of what they get to do in this video. So take a look at the screens. The group of young South to visit yeah, that's awesome. I had such an awesome time working with JIT. Um, oh, my coffee. Um. Dang it! Uh, We've had uh, yeah just an amazing conversations just to the work that he's doing over there. Uh, He has, as you just heard, he's got this surfing ministry that he's working with APU students, um, and they're going to be sharing the gospel with students that love to surf and skate. And but also, he just asked for prayer as well. They're doing a leadership conference uh, where they're going to be talking about making disciples and. Ultimately, these these different um, organizations that they're nonprofit organizations that they're working with, they're going to run this conference, but they're going to end up sharing the gospel with these nonprofit organizations um, to then go and make disciples. And so um, we're we're going to get an opportunity to pray for that as well um, at the end of what we have going on today. But um, love working with JIT. Hey, I want to challenge us this morning. And I want us to talk about what it means to live a life on mission, and for some of us that maybe even hear the call to go and make disciples of all nations in other countries globally, to be missions-minded globally. And so I want today uh, to take a few moments this morning just to talk about and dive into God's Word, of what it actually means to live a life on mission for God. So if you guys have your Bibles, you guys can open up to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Yep, yep. All right, give me a yep, yep when you're there. All right, it's Matthew chapter 28, you go down, and it's verse 18, verse 18. For those of you guys who don't already know, this is famously coined the Great Commission, the Great Commission, Um, and this is a common common passage that people use to preach about missions, but today what I want to talk about um, is not just what it means to be a missionary, what it means to be a disciple as well. And so let's read it together real quick. Here's what it says. Verse 18, we're gonna read from 18 to 20. It says, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe All that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, I need prayer again for just, even as I speak, God, I know that your Holy Spirit speaks on behalf of anyone who opens the word of God and has the intention of speaking truth. And so, Father, I ask that you would speak through me this morning, And Father, God, I pray that you would develop a passion in these students, a zeal for a greater understanding of who you are, God, as we dive into your word. And so we're thankful um, that you are a God that speaks, and you're a God that speaks through your word. God, would you challenge us, um, and would you give us fresh eyes to see all that you have for us this morning? God, you are a good God, and we love you. And in Jesus' name, amen. With great power comes what? Great With great power comes what? Great responsibility. I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say the greatest Spider Man that's ever come across the screen is Tobey Maguire, right? <laughs> Let's go. Hey, Tobey Maguire, it's not even close. I understand there's some people that say Tom Holland. Uh, well, no, this is actually a decent argument, right? Because Tom Holland, they'll say, is, the, is a better Peter Parker but Tobey Maguire is a better Spider-Man. I don't really know how that works. Um, and some of you guys are like, he's an ugly crier. You would be too if you were Tobey. Um, also, also, this is, I'm not talking about Spider-Man 3. I know how cringy Tobey Maguire's uh, acting performance was in Spider-Man 3, um, the point. Uh, terrible, um, but hey. Uh, With great power comes great responsibility. I love Spider-Man. I freaking love that movie, Uh, especially Spider-Man 1. In every good superhero movie, you've got the hero that's trying to find their identity. In this case, it's Peter Parker. Um, He has stumbled upon, and he has happened upon this power, um, and this spider that gives him this power, and he doesn't really know what to do with it. At first, he's self-seeking, right? Right? He wants to buy a nice car, and so he joins this Wrestlemania crew, and it's where he meets Bonesaw, and then he's, he's out there trying to wrestle Bonesaw, and then he has this conversation with the greatest and most gentle man known to human humanity, and his name is Uncle Ben. And Uncle Ben tells him, he says, Peter, with great power comes what? Great responsibility and Peter gets all defensive and insecure because he, he realized he's been exposed, that he's been using his power for his own selfish gain. And so he goes, and one thing leads to another, and then Uncle Ben ends up getting killed um, because of some of the actions that Peter Parker or Spider-Man takes, and it's a tragedy. And ultimately, in every like I said, in every good superhero movie, The superheroes trying to find their identity, they're trying to figure out their purpose. And those are two things that are linked together. You cannot separate those things. We as human beings are purpose-driven creatures. We're purpose-driven. And so our identity is linked to our purpose in the same way you read and you see these superheroes in these movies. And so I'd ask you guys the question, have you guys ever asked yourself the question, man, what is my purpose? Especially as Christians, as we have decided and put our faith in Jesus Christ, what is the next step? What is the will of God for my life? What is God's will for my life? And ultimately, we've asked ourselves that question. We've all been there, Cheeto dust on our fingers, laying on the couch, wondering what is the purpose of our life. Maybe not, maybe not Cheeto dust, but something else. Ultimately, we've all asked that question. What is God's will for for our life? And oftentimes we look in these very specific ways. We look for fulfillment in our career. We look for fulfillment in what school we're going to, what sport we're going to play, ultimately where... um, where we're going to live, who we're going to meet as our wife or as our husband. All these things, these specific things in our lives, is what we look for to then, to then find our identity in. And I'm here to tell you that the will of God for your life is found in Scripture. It's found in the Word of God. And you don't need to look anywhere else before you look here, and we just read it—the Great Commission. And so, here's how I kind of want to answer that question: What is God's will for my life? There's a, there's four different ways I want to answer this question, and here are they. And first is, who is it that calls us? Who is it that calls us to go into all nations? And second is, what is it that He has called us to? The third is, where am I to go? And the fourth is, why am I to go? When you read the Great Commission, when it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, you get an answer in every single one of those categories. Who, what, where, and why. And so that's kind of what we're going to be talking about this morning. Um, and at first, we're going to talk about who is it? Who is this God that calls us? to go and make disciples of all nations. Let's read that uh, passage again. Verse 18, here's what it says. Let's just read verse 18. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Throughout this week, you guys have even been learning about Jesus and about his life And you've been learning about some of the miracles that Jesus has accomplished. Some of the miracles he's done before his disciples, before the Pharisees, and before the public. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Jesus is healing blind eyes. Jesus is proclaiming that he himself can forgive sin in John 5. We read it in the other gospels. Jesus calms the storm. When Peter and the rest of the disciples are on the boat freaking out and Jesus calms the storm, even the winds and the waves obey Jesus. And so when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, I want you guys to understand something. Jesus already has authority. Jesus has had authority since the time he has come to earth. Constantly throughout the scripture throughout the Book of John, Jesus is saying, "I have come in the authority of the Father. I am here. I and the Father are one." And so Jesus has authority even before His resurrection. But what is he, so? Why is he? Why is he reminding His disciples? All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. What is He saying here? Well, Jesus is reminding his disciples, and he's appearing before his disciples right after Jesus just did the greatest miracle of all. Proving that he is the king over death and life. He holds the keys to hell and to heaven, and he's proclaiming himself to be king, and he's saying, I am the king. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me, do you see what I've just done? I've risen from the grave. What does he say right after that? Therefore, go. Johnny says it sometimes. What's the therefore, therefore? What does that word therefore mean? Well, what it's talking about is that there's something before Jesus is even talking that helps warrant what he is saying. Jesus is saying, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go. If he's saying go, he's also pointing to the fact that I just rose from the dead. I am the king over death and life, and I have the keys to both hell and heaven. I am the king of the universe. And what is he calling us to do? He's calling us to go. And this isn't new. This is something that happens all throughout scripture. And some of you guys may understand this, that maybe spent your life at the church and you guys have have read about all these different stories about God going to people and giving them a mission. This is not new. This has happened for years and for years before Jesus even shows up on the scene. Turn with me to Isaiah 6. I want you guys to see something. Isaiah 6. This is a famous passage. And when we read this passage, I think my fear is that we read this not truly understanding what exactly Isaiah is seeing. This is a vision that Isaiah has. And Isaiah is a prophet. For those of you who don't know, Isaiah is a prophet. And he is somebody who speaks on behalf of God. And he's somebody who comes on the authority of God. And he says, thus says the Lord. Every time he says something, you can be sure that God is speaking. And so here's what he says. He has a vision of God. And he says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, The whole earth is filled with his glory. So you have this vision. Isaiah is standing before the throne of God, and he's seeing God high and lifted up. I have to imagine in this moment, Isaiah doesn't really have words to explain what he's seeing. So he just says, I see God high and lifted up. I don't know how else to explain it, but he's high, and he's lifted up. And the train of his robe has filled the temple, and he's seeing and beholding the glory of God. And what is Isaiah's response in this moment? Here's what he says. He says in verse 5, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He falls on his knees, and he says, Woe is me. Because the most exposing thing we can do is, cl- is catch a glimpse of a holy God. And he's convicted to his core and he says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips and I come from a people of unclean lips. And what does God do in this moment? Right after that, It says, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? God knows the answer to this question. God is sovereign and he has foreknowledge and he knows the answer to this question. But what is he saying here? Essentially, what is he saying? He's saying, Isaiah, speak up. Who will go for us? Who shall we send? And Isaiah answers and he says, Here I am, send me. God knows that He was going to do that. The whole reason Isaiah gets this vision is because God is going to send Isaiah to tell the people of Israel to repent, to tell them that their eyes have been blinded by their sin, their ears have been made dull, they can't actually hear the voice of the Lord anymore. And so he's using Isaiah in this moment, this glorious moment, to do his will. That's the same God. It's the same God that commissions us to go into all nations. The same God, high and lifted up. Jesus himself, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was there at the beginning of all creation. Jesus, the firstborn over all creation, Colossians 1. Jesus, one with the Father, has called you and I to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. There's this quote by um, this author I, I truly love, and I, I talked about this in my seminar, but his name is A.W. Tozer. Uh, for those of you guys who don't know A.W. Tozer, he's, he's a man of God, and he's written so many awesome books. But he has this quote, and it's an amazing quote, and it's a famous quote. And We've even talked about this quote in our first video, and it says this. What comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. So when we think about God, when we think about God, what we need to understand is that that is the most important thing about us. And our belief and our understanding of who God is is inextricably linked to our actions in the way that we live. And so ultimately, If we're indifferent to the gospel, if we don't believe the gospel is that important, or maybe we say the gospel is important, but the way that we live our lives, we're kind of just indifferent or complacent, or we would rather uh, have a good relationship with with our friends and our peers, and we don't want them thinking we're weird. Ultimately, if we grow complacent, that says a lot about who we think God is. And that's the opposite of what Isaiah does in this verse. Isaiah falls on his knees and says, Here I am, Lord, send me. Because he has a glimpse of who God is. And he actually can see rightly. For I have seen the Lord, is what Isaiah says. And his response is to say, Here I am, send me. Our belief and our understanding of God is inextricably linked to our actions in the way that we live. If we say we believe in God, our belief in God should motivate everything about what we do. Everything. Which brings me to my next point. What is... What is it that this God has called us to? What is it that God has actually commissioned us to do? And you guys can read it in the next verse. Here's what it says. Go into all nations. Go, therefore, to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded. I think a lot of times when we come up here and we preach, we make a lot of assumptions. And I I don't want to assume any of you guys actually know what a disciple is. A disciple is a student. It's not just a convert. And so when we're talking about this, What's really, really important for us to understand is that it's, it's not asking us, Jesus is not asking us to go into all nations and to have people pray a prayer and stand up and respond to the gospel and then go back to their lives and live however they want. That's not what Jesus is saying here. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, go and make disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple is a student. A student of what? And later in that verse it says, teaching them all that I have commanded. A student of the Word of God, a student of all of Jesus' teachings and the teachings of Scripture. And so when we talk about this, ultimately the prayer and the hope is that we wouldn't just create more converts, more people that would stand up for the sake of the gospel and then go and live their lives however they wanted, but people that would change that would repent. And after their repentance, they would then live a life that mirrors Christ, that both grows in their knowledge of who he is, grows in their understanding of Jesus, and also grows in a life that resembles the life of Jesus as well. So that's what it means. I read this article... Um, about China, China, <laughs> and uh, there's this article' talking about the CCP, which is a China, Chinese Communist Party, and essentially what's happening to Christians in China is oftentimes misunderstood, right? We talk about persecution. we say. <clears throat> the persecuted church in China, the persecuted church in China, the church is being persecuted in China, and it's true, yet we don't actually know what that means. And so I read this article about what the CCP is actually doing to Christians in China. And what's, what's happening is that they're actually rewriting the Bible to help support communist ideas. And they're rewriting scripture and they're, they're taking out certain verses and they're, they're manipulating certain verses and they're making it say stuff that it doesn't say. And those are the only Bibles that are going to be allowed to be possessed in China. If you're possess- in possession of any other type of Bible that's not cleared by the CCP, what is the punishment? Well, the punishment is you go to jail. And so these churches are put in this tremendously difficult position to both adhere to the true word of God, yet they're in danger of facing imprisonment for something, for something that they deeply, deeply believe in, and that is the word of God. And so what's happening in China ought to teach us some lessons about where we are today in America. Not only is that happening in. With Bibles in China, but also house churches in China. When a, when a church meets um, in China, they actually have to be cleared by the government in order to be, in order for them to be allowed to even gather together. And so, for us to know, and and this is what I want us to know here, living here in America and in California, is that the greatest danger for us. There there is a time where we might head in a direction and it seems like it might even be starting where where persecution will begin to happen. But I'm telling you, it doesn't look anything like it does in China right now, in the United States. And so what's the greatest danger for us? The greatest danger for us is not persecution. It's not the physical harm that's going to be done to our bodies because we stand for Christ. It's not... It's not even imprisonment, it's not any of those things. The greatest danger for you and I is a lack of passion for the gospel and a lack of zeal for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because of the comfort that we're surrounded by. It's often said that comfort is one of of the greatest dangers to the Christian faith, why? Because it makes us complacent And you have to think to yourself, why is the church in China exploding at exponential rates? Well, I think it's because this persecution has made them see the value of the word of God so much clearer than we could. They see how valuable and how precious this is. They see Christ as their treasure. Nothing else When all is stripped away, they have Christ and Christ alone. So like I said, the greatest danger is not persecution for us. It's growing cold to the reality of the gospel. The reality that we have a gospel that saves lost sinners. Ultimately, the reason that we share the gospel with unbelievers and we make disciples. It's not just because we want to create converts like I was saying, but it's because when we make disciples, those students, those disciples then make other disciples. It's a ripple effect. It's an exponential force. And so, when you guys look at these churches that are in these other countries, you can recognize that they're making disciples, and that their disciples are making disciples, and their disciples are making disciples, and it's a ripple effect that ends up causing this explosion of Christianity and a revival. That won't happen when we're distracted by all our material goods, everything that surrounds us, school, jobs, careers, All these things that we look for when we're trying to find the will of God for our life, when the will of God is right before us in Matthew chapter 28. There's a story in Romans 5. If you guys want to flip to Romans 5 real quick. Sorry, Romans 15. (laughs) Romans 15. Yep, yep. This is a famous verse right here. And this is talking about Paul and his ministry, right? Paul, the greatest evangelist of all time, the convert the person the disciple maker he's in he's he's speaking to the romans and he's telling them about his ventures he's telling them about his purpose and, his, and the will that God has placed in his life to go and make disciples, to go and plant churches in these different areas. And here's what he says. He says this. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. Verse 19. By the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Lyrusim, I have fulfilled the mi- the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ is, has already been named, lest someone else build, on, or lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of Him will see; those who have never heard. Will understand. What did Paul understand? Paul understood that there is a ripple effect when you make disciples. And so when he's going around planting churches, he recognizes his job has been fulfilled. Why? Because he's planted churches from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. And he recognizes, man, when I plant these churches, when I make these disciples, they will carry out the work that I started And they will begin to make disciples in their countries and in their cities and in their communities. And so what Paul is doing, and he's pointing to the scripture and he's saying, or he's pointing to to the scripture and he's saying, I don't want to build on someone else's foundation. I want to go where the gospel has not yet reached people's ears. Which brings me to the next point, which is that God calls us to go, Not only to do something, but to go somewhere. And you read it in the scripture and you read it, go unto what? All nations. All nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All nations. Paul understood this. The heart of the gospel, the heart of God, is that none would perish, then all would come to saving faith. And all would come to repentance. And so what does Paul do? He goes into all nations and he preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in this moment, Paul's recognizing my work is finished. It says right there, I, so that from Jerusalem and all the way to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel. My work is complete in those areas. It's time to go somewhere else. This is the point of global missions. This is the point of global missions. Oftentimes you guys are told, you guys are in the missions field down in your schools, and your homes, and I want to tell you something, that if we're all missionaries, none of us are missionaries, right? I mean, if we all claim to be missionaries, and truly none of us are, we're all disciples, we're all called to live a life on mission, we're all called to be to be obedient to the call that Christ has on our life when he says to go and make disciples. But not all of us are missionaries. Missionaries are unique. Missionaries are called to share the gospel with those that, where, where there's cultural boundaries, where, where you have to cross cultural boundaries, language boundaries, boundaries and help, help these people who have never heard the gospel before understand what it means to follow Christ. And the truth is, in places like Papua New Guinea, in places like in, in some of our third world countries, in, in these different tribal countries, they have no access to the gospel. They have no access to the truth. That's the mission field. That's, what's Paul, that's what Paul is talking about when he says, my work here has been fulfilled. It's time to go somewhere else where they have not heard. And so some of you guys in this room, and I pray and hope that some of you guys would heed the call to global missions because we need them. But I want to make this point first. You cannot be impactful globally unless you are first invested in your local church. In your local church. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. So what do you have? You have making disciples, you have baptism, and you have the third thing, teaching. Making disciples, baptism, and teaching. When we look at those three things, the only natural response is to recognize that those three things happen where? Where? At the local church, at your church, the church that you guys came up with, the church that you guys spent time with yesterday after, after lunch. And I, uh, I know that oftentimes we, we don't see it maybe even as epic or the life we live um, with in conjunction with the church or when we give our lives to the church, it doesn't sound super awesome, right? But the truth is, you cannot make a difference. You cannot truly live on mission for God unless you are invested in your local church, in your community. The statistics of, uh, of young people that are leaving the church, especially after the pandemic, are, are astounding. After high school, so many people stopped going regularly to church. So many young people and yet, so many young people, so many young Christians ask the question, what is God's will for my life? I, I feel confused. I don't know where to go. And yet you ask them, man, are you, spent, are, you, are you at your church? Are you invested in your church? Are you actually pouring in to people? Are you, are you a part of a Bible study at your church? Are you leading a, a Bible study for young high schoolers like it was done for you? Most of the time the question is no. Yet we wonder what the will of God is for our life. It's right in front of us. Be involved in the church. Make disciples. Baptize. Teach all that I have commanded. It's right in front of us. Not everybody's a missionary. Because if everyone's a missionary, no one's a missionary. Lastly, I want to talk about this. Why? Why should we go? And this is probably probably one of the most important questions we could ask. Why do we go? Johnny talked about it a couple days ago. 2 Corinthians 5.14. The love of God compels us. The love of God compels us. And I, when, I, when you guys hear that, I don't want you guys to immediately think, well, God's love for, for everybody. God's love for the world. Therefore, we need to go and share his love for the world. No. First think of, recognize, man, God's love for you. We talked about our sin yesterday. Jesus took upon the full measure of the wrath of God on behalf of us. It was our sin that held him up on a cross our sin is so bad that God had to trample his own son beneath his wrath. The perfect son of God took upon the wrath of God on behalf of us because why? Because we're desperate. Or we're not desperate, we're sinners. No, and I want you guys to understand, there's no greater love than this, that one would lay down his life for another. And Jesus did that. Recognize the love of the cross in your own life. Recognize God saved me from my sin, from the penalty of my sin. He took it upon himself. There's no greater love than that. What is the natural response then? To share that love with somebody else. The love of the gospel compels us God has had grace and love for you and someone shared the gospel with you believe it or not and someone is ultimately used by God to bring you to repentance yet you say well it doesn't have to be me I'm afraid of what people think you see how selfish that is God did everything for us he did everything for us to know who he is and to be saved. And yet we say back to him, well, I just don't really care. Or I just don't really want, I, I don't really want people to think I'm weird. Yeah. In Romans 10, I'll end with this. Here's what it says. Romans 10, 13 through 15. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a promise of scripture. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Right after that, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent Paul is asking a rhetorical question here, and he's saying essentially, they won't. They won't hear unless somebody tells them. They won't hear the gospel and respond to the gospel unless somebody is sent to them. And right there below it says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. For us to recognize, as Johnny was talking about last night, sin creates an eternal separation from God. We are already separated from God. At the end of our life, for those of us who have not surrendered our life to Jesus Christ, we will spend an eternity in hell. And it's the same for those who have not heard the gospel For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How will they call upon him in whom they have not believed? How will they to believe in him whom they have not heard? They won't. Unless somebody goes and tells them. Why do you think that drove Paul to go where the gospel has not been preached? Because he placed a burden upon himself. Because the burden has been placed upon us, believers, believers. The love of God compels us. How can we say we love those that don't know him if we don't tell him or her about the gospel? How can we say that? When we know their are eternities at stake, and we refuse to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I want to challenge you guys with that. Have a high view of God. Have a high view of God. Recognize who is commissioning you. Recognize who is sending you out. Lord of all creation. Firstborn over all creation. The king. If you call yourself a Christian, Jesus is your king. And he's given you a command. Know who calls you, but not only know who calls you, know what he has called you to, to make disciples, to make students of the word. Not only to know what he has called you to, but to know where he has called you to. All nations, all nations. And why the love of God compels us. The love of God compels us. Here's what we're going to do. In a moment, we're going to take an offering. And I'd like to invite some of the ushers forward with our offering baskets. And here's what, here's what I want to do. Hume Lake's got some missionary, missionaries around the world that are sharing the gospel with those that don't know. In Papua New Guinea, and Thailand. And you just saw JIT. He's sharing the gospel with nonprofit organizations. And he's also working with an organization to share the gospel with surfers In the area, and so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take an offering, and and I I want you guys to know this real quick. You guys are under no obligation to give. In the Bible, it constantly talks about, and we are to give out of the gratitude of our heart. And so I don't don't you should never feel obligated in these moments, whether here or at your church, to give. Um, But essentially, if you do give, this money will not go to anything that any operational thing that happens up here at human Christian camps, ultimately it will go to our human international missionaries and the work that they're doing. JIT as well, and the work that he's doing in South Africa. And so again, no, you're under no obligation to give. But in this moment, as the ushers come down and start to begin to pass, pass the buckets around, I want us to do two things. I want us to pray. I want us to pray for Jit and his ministry, Jam Ministries, and some of the things that they're going to be doing this week as they share the gospel with students um, that love to surf and as APU students are there sharing the gospel with them, but also as they share the gospel with these nonprofit organizations that they're meeting with. And ultimately, not just that, but that Jam Ministries, that God would use them to bring the gospel to, to proclaim the gospel to those that don't know it. So we're going to pray for that as we, out, as we hand out the, uh, the buckets across the aisles. Let me pray for us, and uh, then we're going to head into a time of worship, and then we're going to head into our cabin breakout sessions. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, um, God, I'm just thankful that, that you use broken sinners like me, like Johnny, like Sarah, God to be messengers of of Your word. God, ultimately, I don't know, um, I don't know where uh, students are at this morning, and, and it's sometimes hard to even communicate. Man, what, what is it that You want us to do, God? What is it? What is Your will for our life? God, we ask that question constantly. We know it's clear. We know You've given it to us. God, may we not look in our careers and in our, in our circumstances and in our schools to decide what it is your will for us. But God, ultimately, that we would look to your word and recognize you have already given us all that we need to know. You've caused us and you've demanded us to go into all nations. So God, I pray for those that maybe even have a slight interest in Global missions, first, that they would get involved in the church, that they would pour into their church, talk to their pastors about what it means to live a life on mission for you globally, and God, that you would grow them into missionaries that would go and proclaim your word to those that do not have access to it. God, the inequality of access to, to the truth is is vast in these different countries. So God, I pray that you would stir within us a passion, a greater passion. God, remove from us the temptation to be complacent as we head down the hill and stir within us. Make us recognize that eternities are at stake. That not only are we called globally, but we're called locally as well in our schools, God, in fewer times in their life will high schoolers have this much influence. Because the amount of people they're around, the amount of people they, they have potential to reach, at their schools and in, in their communities and their sports teams. God, I pray that you would use them mightily. I pray this message challenge them to go. And we love you, God, and we're thankful for your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.